0: You're listening to the Trinity Ministries podcast. For more information and to support our ministry, go to www.trinityhudson.org. Welcome to those of you who are guest visitors with us today. Those in the room, those listening on our podcast. Um, I'm just I'm I'm always amazed when I do the run between the two campuses because I get I get to see the. The diversity of our two worship styles, but just the beauty of one thing that we all have in common is that we love God, and we love Christ, and that we celebrate Him and uh, the resurrection and the life that He gives to us. So today we're going to we're going to be continuing a series called that we're in called Unleashed, and this is week three of our series. And if you've missed the the previous weeks, uh, you can go onto our website trinityhudson.org, and uh, you can listen on the podcast at iTunes too. Um, and the whole series is really geared around two specific ideas. The first one, and pretty and, and actually primary, primary uh, is for us as a church to talk about finishing off or unleashing the debt that we together agreed to take on to further our ministry. If you remember several years ago, we uh, uh, expanded, almost doubled the size of our academy downtown, and uh, doubled the size of our youth space, wonderful spaces, more and more people, more and more students, really have grown in their faith because of that move. And many have actually come to faith for the first time because of our wanting to further the ministry. So that's a wonderful thing, primary. However, it has left us with a little piece of debt from that first mortgage, and then also a second mortgage that we have on this campus. So um, if you're a guest or visitor, or even for you that are members, it's not, we've said this the last couple of weeks, it isn't like we're drowning at all. I mean, we're, we're, because of some hard work by our financial teams, we've just been, we're at a good spot. But this is just purely about good stewardship. You know, it's, I'm a Dave Ramsey financial peace guy, so I'm like anti-debt, like the plague kind of thing. Um, and so we are seeking to just be good stewards of what God has given to us and release that debt. So that's uh, the first focus of this series, but the second focus is to talk about those things in your own personal life that have you leashed to your past, to something that has happened, to a financial debt that you may have. You may be even here just in this past week, you know that you've created a regret that's going to haunt you the rest of your life. Or there's this relational debt in your family, and you know that you need to address it, or someone at work, or someone at school with whom you used to be really close, and now you're enemies, and you just don't really even know why. These are all these things that leash you and keep you from moving forward. You know what that's like. I mean, none of us like to be held back in anything that we want to do or, or, or any idea of moving forward or getting better. So right now you may be feeling leashed. And, you know, the reason it's so frustrating feeling that way, especially for Christians, is because if you grew up in the church, you've heard one phrase or one idea that uh, we've taught that, that you've been studying in the Bible that's a true idea, and it's this Bible verse right here. With men... This is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Raise your hand if you've kind of studied that verse and you're like, "Yes, that's my life verse." Kind of thing with God, all things are possible. You have a tattooed somewhere and you have to hide it because you're working now, you know, kind of thing. Um, it's absolutely true with with humans, you know, it's a, things are relatively impossible, but with God all things are possible. But the problem that we have with especially with this verse, it's it's Not the verse itself or not the idea that God could do all things because we know God can do all things. He can do anything. But the problem that we have with this verse is that we place this human template as an overlay on top of this verse. And the template is this. It's It's not that we don't believe that all things are possible with God, but more so we don't believe that all things are probable with God. A yeah, simpler way to say it is this. The problem we Christians have isn't our belief in what God could do, but with what God should do. Because when we think God should behave in a certain way and he doesn't, then we begin to think that he can't. He can't heal you, he can't work out that situation. He can't work through the circumstances for your benefit that you're in right now. And then there's even a worse part. Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> there's even a worse part. You go to your Bible study, and you're sitting in your Bible study, and they're taking prayer requests and prayer celebrations and um, in your small group, and you hear that, uh, for example, a person has been praying to, to get pregnant and... Praise God from last week to this week. They found out they're pregnant. It's a big celebration. You know, or there's this medical situation that your small group has been praying about, and that that person was healed, or praying about a job or whatever, and God kind of came through. But for you, your prayers haven't been answered yet. You haven't been promoted. Your son or your daughter, who used to come to church, has renounced their faith. And you start to believe that maybe this is just all a big joke. You feel that all is lost. Maybe God can't do everything, you start to think. And you feel that what you've been taught to believe in church and by your parents and other people is somehow fake or a lie. And you know what's really great about that that feeling? (laughs) Is because that's exactly how the disciples felt after Jesus left. Because Jesus lived, he died, he rose from the dead, and then was taken up into heaven. And if you were a disciple back then, the last eight weeks, hanging around Jesus has been crazy. I mean, you're following this guy who's done just these, he says these crazy, radical things. He does these amazing things. And then he's arrested and killed and buried and ra- rises again and, and, you know, and then leaves again. And you're, you're sitting there thinking, what is, what's just happened? So now, the guy that you followed that you placed all your hope in is not there. Most people who hung around Jesus thought that he was going to overthrow the government at that time. Well, if he's not there, he's not going to do that. They thought he was going to throw, overthrow the government and set up a lost, you know, the, the, uh, the kingdom from before, the kingdom of David, this new government on the land that's going to make everything uh, all better and it's going to completely change the status of you as a Christ follower. So that gets us to the verses today. We're going to be in Acts two, and it's Pentecost Sunday today. That's what we have read on, and uh, that's it's a celebration. Actually, Pentecost or Shavuot uh, occurs fifty days after Passover. So you remember on Passover that was when Jesus had his last meal, and then after that he was betrayed, and then you know that was Holy Week uh, in there. So according to Jewish tradition, Pentecost commemorates the giving of the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. So fifty days passed. 50 days after Passover, the Exodus. So this celebration that we're going to read about in just a second, this celebration was a really, really big deal in the life of the Jews. And like Passover, Jerusalem at this point was just packed out. Tons of people from all over the area would come. So that brings us to that day in Acts 2, starting at verse 1, is where we're going to be. It says this. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers, all the disciples, were meeting together in one place suddenly, and you guys know this story, suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. So they were sitting there like we are. There's about 120 of them at that. So about a little smaller than our size here. And all of a sudden the wind just kind of, whoo, have you ever been in an auditorium and all of a sudden the lights go out? You know, and then there's just that second of, whoa, you know, there's kind of like, like pregnant, pregnant pause. You're like, what just happened? That's kind of the sense. They hear this, this sound, and the emotion uh, of what is going on just kind of filled the room. And then, and this is always the fun part for, for, when you're, for, for a kid. Remember this when you're reading it. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit. I, one of the reasons I love Pentecost is because this story reminds me, when I was a little kid, I set fire to my, my brother's hair, head. And so his head is flaming, and he's running around the house, and I'm going, Pentecost, speak in tongues. And I remember, that's your pastor. Just welcome. So flames were happening. Everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them The ability. This isn't the prayer language, speaking in tongues. This is actually languages from all over the country. Now, and and up until this time, Jesus was the only one who did really these massive, amazing things. I mean, occasionally a disciple would be equipped to do, you know, miracles and things. Peter walking on the water, Um, but now all of a sudden, these tongues of fire came on all of them, and now not just Jesus was doing amazing things. But all of the disciples were as well because of the power of the Spirit. And in that moment, they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt the one truth that for many of us is a reminder, but for some of us is a new concept. And it's this phrase there's no barring the power of the Holy Spirit. There's no barring the power of the Holy Spirit. And I like this phrase because I like the word barring. Barring is actually a word that, that means there's no exception. So we're going to have a, a church you know, picnic or potluck on June 8th barring the rain, right? And the beautiful imagery with this phrase and what was happening is that from an outsider's perspective, it's, obviously, it's obvious that God's own people would experience the Holy Spirit, but they go out and they start speaking in other languages, to the people. And that's the point of Pentecost. For those of, again, for those of you, if you grew up in the church, it's always the flames and the windstorm that we always focus on. In fact, a lot of the pyramids at traditional churches and things that we wear have flames all over it, right? But that's not the point of Pentecost. The point of, of this amazing happening that happened was that people, the disciples, were equipped to take this beautiful message to people right outside their doors. At that time, there were devoted Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear, their, to hear their own language being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Galilee was a very... Not a high-end city, not a poor area, but just kind of a middle-class area. Not a, it wasn't a highly educated area. So people are like, "Why? How could this be?" And the verses go on from there. Here we are, from many nations speaking many languages. Now, if you're reading your Bible, there's a whole list of words that I can't say. That's why I put that phrase in there. Um, all the, all the Persians and Medes and. I didn't want to be embarrassed. So I just have from nations and languages. We are here, uh, and we all hear people speaking in our own languages about what? The wonderful things that God has done. And they stood there and were amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. I mean, it was craziness. It was mayhem. It was was nuts. They'd never heard or seen anything like this before. And if you keep reading the story, Peter then gets up and says, Hold, calm down, everybody. Let me tell you what's happening. And he goes and he rehearses what God has done. He goes way back when the promise of Abraham happened and goes on and on. And and he gets to this one part of, of his speech that Peter says that many of you know. Peter says this, anyone who calls on the name of Jesus will what? Will be saved. Remember the word barring, you know, exceptions. There's no exceptions to the Holy Spirit. Anyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. And not three people came to faith, not 30, not 300, but how many people came to faith? You remember? 3,000. Now, I wanted to give us a perspective of what 3,000 people look like. So that right there is 3,000 people. And I'm hesitating to tell you what the convention is. Um, it's a convention of act, action, comic, national convention. It's just so geeky. But it was the only one I could find that there was actually 3,000 pe- uh, 3, people in the room. So that's 3,000 people came to Christ, confessed, their, said, oh, my goodness, what do we have to do to be saved? Three, and, and accepted Christ. But not only that, they baptized them all. That would be a long worship service. 3,000 people came to Christ and were baptized. The Holy Spirit of God unleashed his power so that, and at least on Pentecost Sunday, 3,000 people came to know Jesus. The phrase, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Now listen, no matter what your past has told you, No matter what your current situation is saying, no matter how hard you're praying and how silent heaven seems, the Holy Spirit unleashes His power in His time for His purposes. And those purposes are always good. As a church, it's difficult for us to believe that God's Spirit could unleash us from a second mortgage of $500,000. That's a lot of money. That's not just a couple, you know, it's not a $5 bill in the offering. That's a lot of money. And I know that several families in here could actually write a check for that right now. And I'm not saying you need to do that. You need to go to the Holy Spirit and find that. But we as a church are praying about that 500000 but also our first mortgage on this building of $2.5 million. That's kind of where we are financially. Again, we're not sinking, but boy, all of the interest that we're paying on these loans... Can you imagine the Pentecost we could have if we took that, those funds, funneled them into ministries or facilities or whatever, whatever we feel God leading us to do and, and just reaching this area because this area in our, right in Hudson needs hope. People not huddled here but outside our doors need hope, just like the people in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago and you know them. It's your neighbor who struggles with addiction. It's your workout buddy at the Y who's going from woman to woman just trying to find acceptance. I mean, we have an, un- an opportunity to unleash, at a minimum, that first step so we can continue to be a light in our community. I believe we can do it, church. I believe we can. And it, it takes submitting to the Holy Spirit. It takes each of us as families going, okay, God, with me, it's impossible. With us, It's impossible, but with you, all things are possible. As we submit to the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth, comforts us in our troubles, appoints us to Christ. That's what this is all about, because he's our Savior, the only Savior of the world, and he's this area's Savior, Hudson's Savior, the world's Savior. So let's unleash our debt so that we can be unleashed to do more for Jesus. Amen? Amen.